Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Duval, welcome in to the Gin Jag podcast. Since we last spoke, the Jaguars have embarked on one of the more bizarre coaching searches we've ever seen. We'll dive into how all that has gone down. Uh, the Bengals and Rams, they both punched their tickets to the Super Bowl. Jeremy, props to you picking the Bengals. How about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I told you guys, man. I was riding with the Bengals, watching them beat the Chiefs in, in what, week 16? I mean, it, it was going to happen. Joe Cool, Joe Burrow, man. I'm, I'm a fan. Jaguars oh, better watch out. They pushed me to the edge. I know where I'm going. Such a superstar. Uh, we'll talk a bit about how those teams both got there from the NFC Championships or NFC and AFC championships, I should say. Uh, Senior Bowl week is upon us. We'll take a look at some day one stories, some um, some measurements that are interesting coming out of the Senior Bowl. And then, unfortunately, we've got to talk about the lawsuit Brian Flores has filed against the NFL, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Broncos for alleged racism in hiring in their hiring process, which is obviously just unacceptable. Um, Jeremy, I know you're riding high on the Bengals, feeling good about that, but otherwise, how are we doing, my friend? We're doing good, man. We are doing good. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, just just the absolute circus, clown show, run around, whatever you want to call it, the Jaguars coaching search has been has definitely taken the wind out of the sails a little bit, but thankfully enough, we've we've still got some good football being played. Um, you know, got the Super Bowl coming up here in two weeks, which is going to be a phenomenal game. And, you know, I'm just, I'm enjoying it. Whatever, uh, whatever everything else brings, whatever the Jaguars bring to us this upcoming year. I mean, the NFL is the NFL. And, and while there are some bad things going on, um, you know, there's always some good things to, to focus on as well. So I can't complain. Yeah. Who did you pick in the NFC? I believe initially it was the Packers. Right, right. Packers I and picked, Bengals. Yeah. And I picked the Bucks. So, you know, at least one of us got got to the Super Bowl with one of those teams. Yeah, and uh, I owe you I owe you a couple beers too after that the first week of Pickums didn't go my way. But I think if we go back and look at the total record now through all yeah, I think the, <laughs> all of the rounds, it's gotta be pretty close. I think I picked yeah. up a couple here and there. We'll definitely get to that. And uh we're not gonna do our Super Bowl picks this week or this episode because we will uh convene again prior to the Super Bowl uh, and we'll do our picks and I'll go back and figure out exactly those records but yeah I would say you definitely caught up uh to me you know after I had I had one loss in the first round of the playoffs so that was really impressive yeah you, but, you came uh, on hot man you were on a roll to start yeah it has fallen by the wayside unfortunately and also unfortunate like I mentioned the racism in the NFL it's Racism has been a part of the NFL and a part of our society since forever, really. And I really do hope these the lawsuit that Brian Flores has filed helps shed a light on racist behavior and helps create some change for good. I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, but Bill Belichick was tweeting, uh, not tweeting, excuse me, texting with Brian Flores uh, 
as it was before Flores was um, scheduled to meet with the Giants for a head coaching interview, and Belichick thought he was talking to Brian Dayball, not Brian Flores, and he congratulated Dayball on you know being the Giants guy. And of course, if the Giants already knew that they were going to hire Brian Dayball when they were interviewing. Brian Flores, that is an obvious sign that they were not taking the Brian Flores hire seriously. Of course, the Giants are refuting that claim. Um, but like I said, it also mentioned the Dolphins, the Broncos, uh, a bunch of other teams were mentioned in the lawsuit uh, as potentially uh, as potentially harboring racist behavior. But the teams that are specifically being sued are the Giants, Dolphins, Broncos, and of course, the NFL uh, as a whole. It's really a story, like I said, I hope it creates change for good. It's hard. We know this exists, but it's hard to see it when it comes to light, and it's tough to stomach. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's so much to unpack, right, in, in all avenues of this story. Um, you know, initially, the, the texts from Bill Belichick, while nothing in there is, is really damning evidence, I mean, it does show you, like you mentioned, that at that point in their search, the Giants had already made up their mind. Right, and so Brian Flores was was obviously not nearly as serious as a candidate as maybe they thought he was when they requested the interview. However, that doesn't necessarily, you know, completely, you know, reject his candidacy. If if the Giants had their mind made up because because Dayball hit a home run, obviously you can't really do anything like well, that and release the this. information. If that is the case, then the Giants lied in their release about this because they right. said Flores was in the conversation until the 11th hour. If that is the case, then one of those, t- those two things can't add up. Right. Correct. Correct. But, but there's no way. This, I mean, it's, it's just hearsay. She said, right. There, there, there's, there's, there's no way to really prove without a reasonable doubt that, you know, that, that the search was over and that, that they weren't taking Brian Flores's interview seriously now that's obviously not where i stand on this it obviously looks optically it's terrible right it's optically terrible and and it opens the door for this kind of of lawsuit and for these kind of topics to be brought up whether that was the intention or not or whether it was there we know what the issues are in the league historically with coaches with quarterbacks with ownership with with really you know everything as it pertains to the african-american population in sports in the nfl and so you know, and, and not even just the African American population. You know, minorities in general, and and it's tough because you know the, the Dolphins very well could have you know been floored by Dayball, and and then had the meeting with with Flores down the road, and then what if he blew them away? You know, but they didn't set themselves up for that, and, and there's no way to really hide from it other than the fact that they can say what they want, and there's really nothing that anybody can really point to and say, hey, this shows you right here that they had absolutely no intent at all whatsoever of hiring Brian Flores. And it was just for show, unless there's obviously some sort of, you know, backlog communication that gets released or emails that get released or anything like that, you know, but who knows? The NFL right. has and I'm sure there will before. be, there will be investigations into this. And, you know, if there was wrongdoing, which it certainly appears there was, hopefully they're able to uncover that the statement from Brian Flores on the lawsuit, God has gifted me with a special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals. In making the decision to file the class action complaint, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game 
that I love. So yeah, obviously Flores by doing this potentially is going to be blackballed as we've seen other, not coaches, but we've seen players blackballed from the NFL uh, players that were deserving of being in the NFL. And I hope that's not the case. I would think as we move here, it's February of 2022, as we move forward and progress that Flores would have an opportunity, you know, after all this is said and done to be a coach in the NFL again, because he's obviously an incredibly talented head coach. I mean, from and defensive mind in general, uh, from what we've seen in Miami and his years in New England. Yeah, I mean, we, we both agree on that part. And then I think everyone would want to see him get another chance in the NFL. But like you mentioned, and I'm sure it was the first thing that ran across many people's minds as it was mine. And I'm sure it was Brian Flores, obviously, as he indicated in the statement, he's probably not going to get another chance in the NFL. You know, you don't take a shot at the NFL and and really live to tell the tale, right? The shield is almost untouchable. And truthfully, with with what's on the surface right here, right? I mean, I understand the situation and it sucks that word was already out to Bill Belichick, who's a prominent member of the NFL community, obviously, and has a high standing. And, and that's obviously why he got that information. And he got mixed up into this. And I, and I do feel bad for him because in no way, shape or form was he obviously alluding to or alleging that, you know, there was racism involved in this event. But like we mentioned, the history is there and, and time will tell and, and evidence will have to obviously surface and we'll really see um, what the underlying cause was there. And if it was, then, then good on Flores because, right, he he sacrificed his own career to potentially change the current state of the NFL and, and really as society as a whole. Um, and then you look at some of the other things in, in his in his um, lawsuit, you know, indicating that uh, Stephen Ross attempted to, to pay him $100,000 for every game they lost in 2019 to tank for the number one overall pick. Um, glad that didn't happen, first of all. Uh, but second <laughs> of all, um, you know, there, there's so much more that, that you unpack when you get in there, right? With now the 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 uh, sports gambling that that's starting to be legalized and mobilized, you know, across the entire United States. Something that fans have been clamoring about forever. This obviously violates that. This puts that in jeopardy. Um, and then you look at the Denver Broncos and what he alleged um, in his interview from 2019 as, as well. I think it was 19 or maybe it was 18. He mentioned where they showed up an hour late to the interview and they looked like they had been out partying all night. Not necessarily a damnation, but it's not a good look, right? You know, it, it's just not a good look for the NFL, for people who conduct themselves with with class um, and professionalism. It, it just it doesn't really go over well. Certainly not. And uh, it's it's very frustrating. And there's a lot more to unpack. We haven't read the full lawsuit, obviously. And there's going to be a lot more to look at, a lot more angles and lenses to see this situation through. But the fact that we have one black head coach, I believe two minority head coaches in the entire NFL, 32 jobs, it's just unbelievable with the with the amount of diversity that there is in this country um, to only have two minority coaches. Uh, it's unfathomable, really, especially with 70% of the player pool being black or minority and so many qualified guys out there for these jobs. They're just getting passed over time and time again. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And, and that's really what kind of, I think, key marks this whole entire issue, this whole entire subject is is the qualifications, right? Nothing is more important to the NFL 
from their own mouth in the qualification chart. You even heard about earlier that the Giants said that they thought Brian Dable was the most qualified person for the job. But year in and year out, we see uh, black and minority coaches passed up, and they're all qualified. Uh, heck, some of them are overqualified, right? Eric Bieniemy overqualified. So what if maybe he's not the greatest in an interview, right? Or, or isn't the greatest, um, you know, talking. I mean, that, that what does that have to do with his football knowledge, right? What does that have to do with anything that 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 comes onto the field? You know, obviously, does it open up questions about his coaching, you know, ability? I'm sure maybe that's what they're trying to pass it off as. But let's be real, man. When you're on that field, it's just normal people doing what they love. It's football, right? Everything changes when you're on the field. So. Yeah, it's just crazy to see these coaches get passed up time and time again, and and it really obviously not only paints uh, you know a bad look for the league, but you know it really, I think you know starves the fans and starves the football community of seeing what minds like this could really do given the opportunity. Yeah, and of course the Rooney Rule uh, was created in two thousand two by the NFL where teams are forced to interview minority coaches or minority candidates for coaching and front office openings. And that has just basically been turned into a sham uh, where teams just, not all teams, but some teams have certainly engaged in the activity of basically just, you know, check, checking the box of, Oh, we interviewed a minority candidate. We can move on now. And that's plain to see based on the amount of, or lack of minority coaches in the NFL. It's obvious. And uh, whether it needs to be abolished or amended, uh, whatever it needs to be, the NFL has to create something uh, that forces these teams to take this seriously, whether it be, uh, I don't know, someone that is – part of every front office who is there specifically for the purpose of making sure there is a collaborative um, environment that includes, you know, diversity and minorities, whatever the case may be, they need to figure out something different because the Rooney rule is not getting the job done. And not only that, you know, I mean, you mentioned it's a sham, but, but really what I think the Rooney rule has done is it has completely devalued right the position of minority coaches or staff in general in the NFL right they've incentivized the hiring of minorities which has turned it into a token more than anything right if you do this if you if you go out and hire a minority hey we will give you or, or you know the, the team the, the, the opposing team is incentivized right with, with draft picks and there's incentives for 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 teams to be able to promote uh, minorities and and that automatically devalues it right because then you can already go ahead and say you're not doing it for the right reasons uh, and then secondly you know being forced into something right never bodes well right when is when is the last time you've ever enjoyed something that you've been forced into doing right or has 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 you know what you've been forced into doing ever outweighed what you do by choice. In my opinion, no, it never has. And it also, again, takes away from the value that these coaches bring to the table because in some instances, you're not interviewing them because you want to be or you should be or they have the qualifications or they've shown you that they're competent or they've shown you that they deserve this job. You're interviewing them because you have to. And mentally, I think that automatically disqualifies them 
from your search, right? You ha- you have to do this. I'm not doing this because I want to. I have to. I'm showing up to this meeting with the, with this individual, drunk, hungover, you know, whatever, because I have to be here. I'm not here because I want to be. I'm not buttoned up for this. And obviously, optically, that's bad for the NFL. That that is that is completely the opposite of professionalism. But you're opening yourself up to these kinds of situations when you incentivize and 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 make minority interviews mandatory under the guise of you trying to in my opinion trying to you know uh, increase the population increase the number and and that's just not the way to go about it in my opinion yeah it really needs to be a a choice by ownership uh, around the league to want to be more diverse and more inclusive uh, among their ranks and of course that's not what's happening and, and it goes to the top with all the owners it's it's got to change and i don't know if it will you would think shad khan who is a minority owner would be at the forefront of this change but he really hasn't been unfortunately and he hasn't been at the forefront of much during his time as an nfl owner outside of losing and when you talk about bad optics uh, from this uh, lawsuit, Jacksonville is the home of bad optics. And we will get into that in just a second. First, a big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Uh, they are the title sponsor of the show. We've got some exciting news coming. Um, I didn't want to announce it before we talked about you know, the lawsuit and racism in the NFL, a very heavy topic that we we don't like to have to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. People need to understand what's going on here. Uh, but we do have some exciting news that we're going to announce about the podcast and the channel and a, uh, you know, a collaboration that we've got going on that we'll be able to announce here pretty soon. Uh, but just stay tuned for that. But now not exciting has been the Jaguars coaching search. As I mentioned, horrible optics. Um, Since the last time we spoke, the Jaguars have been in the news quite a bit, uh, but nothing, at least in any official capacity, has changed. Trent Baalke is still the general manager, and the Jacksonville Jaguars still do not have a head coach. I'm going to go through a little timeline here since we last spoke. Um, I think last time we got together, it looked like Bill O'Brien was somehow one of the favorites as as Trent Baalke was just trying to hold on to his job, it looked like, with Bill O'Brien, a guy that he was kind of uh, uh, pushing or peddling to to be the Jaguars head coach. That quickly dissipated. It was not a good interview. Uh, last week, it looked like Byron Leftwich and Adrian Wilson were coming to town as the head coach and GM, respectively. It appears negotiations hit a snag when Leftwich reportedly declined the Jaguars' offer to become the head coach because he wanted to bring over Adrian Wilson to replace Trent Baalke because Leftwich did not want to work with Trent Baalke. Um, so that whole fiasco went down. It looked like it was a surefire deal that Leftwich was coming, and at the last minute, it didn't work out. Uh, the Jaguars then reportedly wanted to conduct second interviews with Nathaniel Hackett, Matt Eberflus, Of course, they were both hired. Matt Eberflus is the head coach of the Bears. Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Broncos. They also reportedly interviewed former Broncos head coach Vic Fangio, who's a very strong defensive mind, kind of the godfather of a lot of the modern NFL defenses. Uh, After that came out, everything went quiet for a couple days. 
Then, this was an absolute gem. Sunday morning, Ian Rappaport shares that the Jaguars view Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as a candidate. Of course, the Jaguars can't interview Kevin O'Connell until the Rams are eliminated from the playoffs because they did not request an interview with him during the initial two-week request period where the NFL was, for the first time, allowing um, allowing coaches to interview with potential teams for promotions during the season. During December, the Jaguars did not request to interview him whereas the Vikings and Texans both did. So the Jaguars cannot interview him now that the Rams are going to the Super Bowl until after the Super Bowl. Unbelievable. Monday rolls around. Tom Pelissero shares that the Jaguars are interviewing former Raiders special teams coordinator and interim head coach Rick Bisaccia, or Rich Bisaccia, excuse me, for their head coaching vacancy. Later Monday, Frank Frangie shares that Jim Caldwell still believes he's a candidate for the Jaguars job. Then Monday evening, we get word that former Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson is getting a second interview with the Jaguars. Now, Tuesday, February 1st, which is today, the day we're recording, we get a report that the Jaguars are interviewing former Vikings top personnel man Rick Spielman for a high-ranking role in the front office that is not the general manager role. And that's where we're at. That's the last major report on what the Jaguars are doing in their head coaching search. What the hell do you make of all of this, Jeremy? <laughs> oh, man. I uh, I don't know. I, I don't know, right? You have no, no freaking clue on what's going on inside that building. And, you know, it, the craziest thing is, is the Jaguars haven't said anything. Right there's been no release from the cons. There's been no release from Balky directly. There's been no release from the PR department. There's been no release from the official organizational Twitter account. Nothing. Right. You see all these other teams updating um, their Twitters and their fans on on their interviews and, and where they're going. We're not getting any of that. There's been no talk from inside the building, and that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Right. It's a little bit odd to see this kind of you know closed doors. Um, and I don't know if it's some sort of tactic that they're trying to, to, to lay down or, or if, you know, truthfully, we've gotten to them, right? The unrest from outside the stadium has, has forced them to close their doors, right? They don't want to have to deal with it, which is either A, you know, Shad Khan and whoever else is in there is in there, you know, really trying to hammer this out and really trying to turn things around and do everything they can and be meticulous and, and you know, all the things that you could try to spin this and say, but we know that's not the case, right? We know that's not the case because they've never once made a competent decision that would allow us to give them the benefit of the doubt. It has been poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. From every coaching hire Shad Khan has made in Jacksonville to every draft pick that every general manager that he has employed up to this point, besides a few, have been made in Jacksonville. From every staff hire in Jacksonville, every coordinator, every, uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on. It just stacks up and then it just, it, it completely shows you the ineptitude and dysfunction in this franchise. They weren't prepared. They had a head start on everybody else in the league by a long shot. Still weren't even close to, to being the first team remotely with anything in motion. Weren't the first team to make a hire. Weren't the first team to release any sort of information. Nothing. So every advantage that you had in finally ridding the franchise of Urban Meyer, 
starting to rip that Band-Aid off early, has since gone out the window, and, and now we're behind the eight ball. And now I think we're starting over, right? You've got guys that are openly not for bulky. Okay, we'll move on. We'll find someone that is, right? We saw the report today. When you have this guy in an interview, no one is going to to your face, you know, for, for the sanctity of, of professionalism and, and, you know, the situation at hand in the moment is going to say, you know, F that guy, not working with him, right? You know, you've right. got to obviously. What you're referring to is Mike Garofolo. Correct. He shared that candidates are being asked point blank in these interviews that Trent Balky is sitting in on and conduct helping conduct. He's present. Shot Khan is asking these candidates if they would be willing to work with Trent Balky in front of Trent Balky. Like how tone deaf can you be? Right. What 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 kind of what kind of business are you running? Man, what kind of business are you running? I mean, the door is shut for a reason, right? Shad Khan is shutting out the fans, shutting out any sort of sensible talk. Now, now, obviously, the fans are enraged, right? And and they are going to the extreme with the thoughts and and their takes and their really theories. Because that's all anything is, right? Even for for us, for you and I, yes, for anything, no one we, knows right now what is happening, right? That's anything a fact. we tweet out is all theory, speculation from our own head because they haven't said a damn thing. And so, I mean, could could I sit here and think that maybe now that they're trying to put together some all-star lineup, you know, Spielman as the EVP and, and Caldwell as the GM and Leftwich as the head coach with, you know, Peterson as the OC, Fangio as the DC, and Pisacci as the special teams coordinator, all that, you know, wonderful glitz and glamoury stuff. Sure, I mean, you could say that, but we all know damn well that they've never done anything to point to a competent decision. So we know that's not happening. Well, so to we know be fair. Garofalo, or uh, Mike Garofolo, who share, he shared a lot of this information over the last couple of days. He said he does believe that the um, Rich Passaccia interview and the Vic Fangio interview were for assistant coach positions, not the head coaching position, as they were originally reported, which of course goes to my one of my big points here. There's so much misinformation that's been out there the last couple of weeks. It's unbelievable how much misinformation that has been reported by everyone involved in this situation. Right. And, and, and that's the biggest part of the problem. What I keep going back to is that we've heard nothing from the organization. We had a member of, of another team's official team media, right? We're talking about Mike Jarecki now um, from the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, basically Cardinals the website. John Osher of the Cardinals, right? Exactly. I was going to say that. Perfect. Thank you, right? Official team spokesman, right? Team website, team affiliated, whole nine yards, come out with this information uh, about Wilson and Leftwich, and, and that has since obviously fallen flat. You don't know what's going on, but you're assuming that that's not happening. It's, it's taken too long. Things are too drawn out. We all know what the bump in the road is, so... Where but is it is weird that there from? hasn't been anything else from Byron's camp. I agree, right? You would at least thought you heard or w- would think you would have heard Byron either come out and say, I'm going back to Tampa. I'm going to take up my spot as the offensive coordinator again, and I'll try this all again next year. With We're a team doing that- a Saints interview. They requested to interview him. That didn't happen. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's so weird that that thing, the Byron situation and all, you know things being all quiet on the Byron front that does puzzle me a little bit, which makes me think that it's not completely dead, but just the timing thinks is I've, I've seen things that have suggested that Byron is so dead set on, on being the head coach of the Jaguars in this cycle and only the head coach of the Jaguars in the cycle that he's waiting. He's waiting for the Jaguars to make a move, 
right? He, he's, he's, and I don't know this for a fact. No one does. So obviously, again, all speculation. But there's reports out there that he came with a a a plan, right? We know that he showed up in a teal suit. We know he's all about Jacksonville. He came in with the plan. He had, I'm assuming, staff figured out. And again, I, I admit that I'm assuming because of the other things that we've had linked to him that he knew who he wanted to bring with him. And they turned him away for their clown show of a search, all because Khan's showing unimpeded loyalty to Trent Balky for what reason I'm not sure and now we start over and now I truthfully think what's happening is maybe shot is slowly starting to realize that that Balky is impeding the search and he's trying to play you know cover up here he's trying to put makeup on his face by telling people oh if I'm the real issue I'll step down we know that's not going to happen at all whatsoever who in their right mind would do that making this kind of money Shot if there's one thing he it? does, it's survive. Right, survive in advance. He's a snake in the grass. You know, all that stuff. And I'll leave this with here, and I'll pass it over to you. I know I've been going here for a few minutes, and I know I really haven't even touched on all of it because it's been so freaking insane. There's one thing that I think has to be going on right now if we have any hope of, of, of the ship being righted. And even if it is, it doesn't change the optics in the way that they fumbled their way through all this, no matter who they get, right, at this point. If they get somebody that we all love. Shad Khan has to be realizing that his numbers are thin because of bulky. And now he's starting to re loop, right? Retrace his steps back to everybody who was anti bulky in the beginning. And now I'm going to get a better look at, at everything you've got. Cause that may have been the deal breaker. You're not cool to work with bulky. Then I'm not cool for you to work here. Realizes that list got real, real small and he didn't like it. Now we've got to circle back and really kind of get into the grid of things and really see, you know, who's the best fit. And if the best fit for this team you know, includes me removing bulky, then that may not be in the case. But I, I'm still disheveled about the fact that we haven't heard a single thing from the organization. Yeah, it's crazy. And even more crazy stuff has come out that's not really uh, reports about potential hirings or interviews or anything like that. But Mark Long shared today that Trent Balky he wants to get someone in the building to handle like the day-to-day GM duties so that he can be on the field and more hands-on with the players. Like, what? And what, like, why? Why would anyone want that? I, I don't understand. And why would Shad Khan grant that? That is crazy. Uh, absolutely crazy. And um, I, I don't know what to even think about that. He's already on the field in practice, kind of dressed like a coach a lot, uh, from what I've seen going out there during training camp and some of the – uh, practices it, really really strange situation with that one too so i mean it, it that had to come straight out of trent balky's mouth or text right or fingers or something from balky he's got to be the direct source on that who on in their right mind would first of all admit that hey i want you to come in or not not that i want you anybody right he, he's basically saying i want to hire an assistant to do my job for me so I can do something else <laughs> right? without basically going out there and saying that I'm bad at my job and I need somebody else to come in here and do it. Right. He's obviously trying to lay that down as the framework, lay that down as the reasoning for the Jaguars, potentially getting a new GM and placing him elsewhere in the organization. But does that make sense to anybody? Have you ever gone to your, your boss and said, Hey, I need you to hire an assistant for me to do my job so I can go do something else. No, right and, uh, and and you're not crazy. making a you're not making a step up right he's not hiring a gm so he can go be evp he's not hiring a gm so he can go be president of the of the jaguars or, or you know whatever he's hiring i mean maybe he is who knows and <laughs> and if he's gotten into shots ear about that then we are doomed but i mean it just 
Who's saying this crap? Where's it coming from? The Jaguars haven't come out and denied it, and I would think at some point you'd come out and say, listen, guys, everything that's coming out right now, you can't take it. You can't take it for what it is. You need to wait until you hear something from us, and I'd be okay with that, except for the fact that we haven't heard anything at all. But at some point, wouldn't you want to come out yourself and, and because of how the optics and everything's looking right now and just say, hey, look, none of this is true. Everyone sit tight. Hold on. We'll be with you in a moment. Yeah. It, it truly is unfathomable, the situation that's that's going on in Jacksonville. And yeah, you know, it is possible that it's not as bad behind the scenes as everyone is making it out to be. But let's be honest. There's no reason that Shad Khan and Trent Balky should be given the benefit of the doubt here. Right? Like, there's absolutely no reason. Um, and there is some belief here getting into some theories that the Jaguars balked at the last minute. And that, that is pun intended that they balked uh, with having Byron and Adrian, who would both be first timers and head coach role and GM role, respectively, uh, just handing the reins over to them. And that the Jaguars backed out at the last minute. Um, I don't know if that's the case at all. If it is like, you really weren't confident enough. Like you, you backed out at the very last moment. Like what was going through your head the whole time before that? I don't know. I I don't think any of us know, but if you are going to have this potential pairing, that's not Byron left, which in Adrian Wilson, if it is Doug Peterson, who supposedly did his second interview with the team today and Rick Spielman, who, we just heard his name for the first time today uh, after he parted ways with the Vikings, was fired by the Vikings after being their top personnel guy for over 15 years. If those are the two guys, Doug Peterson and Rick Spielman, how do you feel about that? Obviously, the process has been horrific. And if Trent Balky remains, also horrific. But Peterson-Spielman, what do you think about that combo? I mean, Doug Peterson was my my guy initially right we talked about it who did you want first thing doug peterson former super bowl winning head coach has shown that he is able to develop quarterbacks i'd love to hear what exactly went on with carson in philadelphia and why that obviously could not continue but you know if if you go from the the shit show sorry my excuse my french of of the trent balky situation and somehow tape it up and, and, and make it look real nice and pretty with a, a Spielman and Peterson combo. Obviously you've gotten yourself out of the weeds, but again, like you mentioned, it doesn't, it doesn't replace, you know, the, 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 the travel, the path, how we got here, the ineptitude, the, the apparently last minute standoff between Leftwich and bulky, an entire league, an entire community, you know, all against one person, except for you. Right, it just—it just—I don't understand how you would even try to logically explain that to someone outside of the world. Right, this is the NFL. Right, this isn't your normal job, and I get that. And this isn't the normal work environment, but I think to Shad Khan, it is. Right, he doesn't understand the difference. People in the NFL talk. It's all about your relationships. Right, people don't just make things up, and I mean, they do. And there's some technical play to it, but when you have an entire community who has not come out and said one thing positive ever about an individual. I mean, the, the writing's on the wall. I'd be fine with Spielman and Peterson. I really would, but I would have liked it 
20 days ago, right? When they could have already requested that stuff and gotten the ball rolling and, and, and it just, it, it's either that they're fumbling on their own steps or, or, you know, they're, they're making a mess in their own way. Now, I mean, again, I, I, I keep going back to this, to this crazy thought that, you know, maybe Shad Khan is realizing through this whole process that the NFL is different, that he is being more hands-on with this given search because he has to be, and it all hangs in the balance, right? The team structure is terrible. The front office structure is unlike anything in the NFL. If you go look at every team's website and their front office structure and how things are put together and how many positions there are in each department, the Jaguars don't even compare, right? They have like three, four guys in their front office. None are former players. None are former, um, you know, uh, position holders in the franchise. He tried that once with Coughlin and we, and we saw how that ended up, but there's no, there's no alumni base. There's, there's nothing that you see with other competent winning, you know, historic, um, you know, tradition having NFL franchises. And, and, and I think that's, what's really setting Jacksonville apart. And maybe, maybe Shad Khan is realizing that and starting to say, okay, Spielman's a guy who, who understands structure, who understands the NFL, who who has had success, who's been around and can help me really change this entire thing from top to bottom. Again, we can't give him the benefit of the doubt though, right? So it, it's tough to, to bring that in, but you'd have you have to change everything from top to bottom. You've got to see that there's something wrong here. Yeah. And if you're one of those people that just assumes everything Shad Khan does as a Jaguars owner from a football perspective is going to be the wrong move, you're you're probably right. <laughs> honestly based on what we've seen so far but uh I, I do like peterson we've talked about him on the podcast before like you said you were a big proponent of hiring him um, if he is the head coach i do think he brings that ability to connect with trevor lawrence as a former quarterback and an offensive play caller uh, he is a player's coach there's no players that uh, you can find that really have anything negative to say about him he really does connect with those guys um, he's a guy that led the Eagles to three straight postseasons, a Super Bowl championship. Um, you know, the only time he didn't make the playoffs for the Eagles was his first year and his final year. His first year, they went seven and nine and were much improved. His final year was kind of a dumpster fire with Carson Wentz. Um, you know, Carson Wentz having just a horrific year of football. Um, and a lot of other negative situations going on, uh, obviously. So I, I agree. I think Peterson would be a great hire. Spielman, I think, would be a good hire as well. He has a winning record as a GM. Um, he's He was their GM in Minnesota for over 15 years. Uh, he drafted guys. I mean, he's drafted guys, so many excellent players. He's not perfect at drafting. Certainly no one is. But he's certainly hit on a lot more picks than the Jaguars have. I mean, you look at some of the guys like Adrian Peterson, Harrison Smith, um, Xavier Rhodes, Stephon Diggs, Everson Griffin, um, uh, Justin Jefferson recently, Brian O'Neill recently, Dalvin Cook. He's He's been able to find talent that has helped Minnesota be a sustainable franchise for the last decade and a half. So there, there's a lot worse that you could do if you get Doug Peterson and Rick Spielman. Who knows how it's going to play out? They might not even be connected. It seems like they would be based on the timing of it all. And but, their agent. And their yeah, agent. and the agent, absolutely. But, you know, who knows? This... 
is such a ass backwards uh, franchise and search process. I have no idea. If I had to guess, I would say they are connected uh, to this job as potentially like a package uh, pairing at GM or EVP and and head coach. Uh, But I have no idea at this point. If I had to guess, I would say Doug Peterson is the leader in the clubhouse right now, but that's just based on the timing of things. Yeah, I I, I don't even know. I I don't even know who I would say would be the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, like you said, everything that kind of feels right right now leans that way because of the the connections, um, uh, the the same agent, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, thinking about the connections that we just felt with with the potential Leftwich and, and Adrian Wilson situation a week ago, and I had to kind of you know do a double take today when I realized that it's only been seven days since that was released, and we all thought that 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 it was over and the Jaguars were saved and and we could finally move on. Seven days of what felt like an eternity, and and that's kind of what this entire coaching search has been—just an eternity. I. Don't know if, if I feel that that Peterson, like I said, and, and Spielman would automatically be leaders in the clubhouse. But at this point, you, you've got to assume that they're going to at least wait two weeks to to talk to Kevin O'Connell. I mean, if you made that that move to request him, obviously knowing when you did it that you would have to wait because the timing had already passed, and that obviously did they just shows. Know? Oh man, I you know that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Honestly, you would. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Good point. I'm going to go ahead and move on and say that, that that they did, right? You would think that he can't be that inept, but, well, but you're Rangie right. Well, Rangie today said he, he does think that they want to wait till Kevin O'Connell either gets hired or he's available to interview. But, of course, Frangie, he's been accurate on a lot of stuff, but he also he's the voice of the Jaguars. He leans towards uh, you know, favoring them, not making them look like complete idiots. Right. So who, who knows? And that's his job, and and I get that, um, but yeah, I mean, if they would just come out and say something, you know, it, it would it would completely change things up. But you would have to wait because that's really the only leverage that you have at this point with any other with any other uh, potential coach that you've hired up to this point. O'Connell's the only leverage that you have. You've already had guys that have reportedly turned you down because of bulky. You already duffed the one guy who was willing to to at least try to work with you. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that that left witch's killer was the balky situation. He came in after the fact, sat down and said, great, I'm glad there's mutual interest, but this is my demand and that's where things stalled. So you lose leverage there. You lose leverage uh, with left witch after you claim that you're going to you know, interview Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos, who are a competent organization, do the right thing and, and go out there and get their guy right? Snatch him out from the Jaguars. You lose leverage there. This is really the only leverage you have left, right? You've, you've, you've interviewed, I would think almost everybody and anybody you possibly could at this point, you can go back and start interviewing guys who lost in the playoffs. Maybe you want to make a call to Mike McDaniels or Eric B or, uh, Michael for, I don't know at this point, but you have no leverage. It's the only thing that they can do. Only thing they think they can hold on to if they wait two weeks to interview Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Could you imagine if this drags on for another two weeks? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at this point because yeah. there's, there's, there's no light, right? There's no light. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't I, surprise me either, but it would be Byron frustrating Wilson, as hell. Byron and Wilson were the first concrete pair. Like, Oh, this is happening, right? All the interviews that have come up before, you know, had happened. There was a little bit of murmur, but that was the first like, okay guys, this is it. And then poof, it's gone. 
right? So, yeah. so th- this could go on for two more. We haven't heard anything. No, nothing else has felt like it was gaining any traction like that did up to this point. Another yeah. week has passed. Not a single thing has gained any traction. The closest thing would be what happened today with you know Spielman Peterson and, Peterson. and Spielman and their connection with the agent, and it kind of seems to align but of course we don't know and we'll see how it all goes if i had to predict i'm i'm gonna predict it's gonna be doug peterson but i don't think anything's off the table right now outside of eberflus and hackett who have already been hired obviously so yeah wild wild situation i'd like to remind everybody to follow us follow jeremy on twitter at jeremy markoski myself at jordan delugo and generation jaguar at generation jag pretty sad uh we've been sitting here talking for about 45 minutes and we haven't really talked any football not just just coaches and <laughs> racism and you know and and just things that you don't want to talk about when, you come, when it comes to football right things that kind of just take it out of you for the game but yes yeah, so let's talk some football yeah and i hope that you know our listeners while this isn't while these topics aren't topics that you love to talk and hear about, I hope that our, at least our views and, you know, insight on these situations is something that uh, our listeners will at least be able to uh, learn something from or, or enjoy. Um, So, yeah, as I mentioned, we hadn't been talking any football now we will talk some football, but it's also the season of measurements. Senior Bowl season, NFL draft season, NFL Combine is coming up as well. But yeah, the Senior Bowl is this week, and it is the premier all-star game for college players looking to make a name for themselves in the NFL draft. Um, All these guys, they go in, they get measured for different positions. Different measurements matter more. Uh, They have three days of practice, which kicked off today. The Lions and the Jets are the two teams that are coaching um, the two respective teams, the National and the American team, um, at the Senior Bowl. So those coaches and those coaching staffs will be able to have really good rapport with some of these players that they're working with. And of course the entire NFL, uh, all the scouting departments are at the senior bowl. Um, I would be there, but for just some scheduling issues, I wasn't able to go this year. Hope I hope to go next year, but uh, they had the measurements on Monday, all the weigh-ins and all that good stuff. And then they had their first days of practice today. There's also practice Wednesday and Thursday. And then the game is this weekend. The game is the least important part of the whole thing, funny enough. It's all about what you see in practice and uh, what you get uh, from the medical evaluations and from the measurements, like I said. And so before we talk football, I do want to just talk to you about this because we haven't talked a ton about this type of stuff. Um, And I know the Jaguars are not going to be in the market for a quarterback early on. Trevor Lawrence is firmly entrenched as the face of the franchise, but Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh quarterback had a fantastic senior season. Um, He is viewed by many as QB one in this draft class. He did not uh, allow the senior bowl to measure his hands because reportedly he has hands that are eight 
and two quarter or eight and um, eight and a quarter inches. And apparently the NFL kind of minimum for anyone who has started any significant amount of time uh, as a quarterback is nine inches. And people will talk about, well, Joe Burrow had small hands, but Burrow's hands were closer to nine inches than eight inches. Apparently, Kenny Pickett has eight and a quarter inch hands, which would be the zeroth percentile for NFL quarterbacks. What do you think about hand size for quarterbacks um, as it pertains to moving towards the NFL? I really don't care. Personally, in my opinion, I don't know when they started measuring hand size, but I'd love to go back and see exactly when they started Certainly measuring hand size. Certainly more of a modern. Right. And and go tell me, you know, that maybe Joe Montana had small hands or Kenny Stabler had small hands or, you know, I mean, I get it, right? You got like certain, you know, the ability to be able to, to grip the ball and the, to, to really direct the ball and command the ball. I get all that, but you've got to be kidding me if you're going to tell me that that one inch in length of a of a quarterback's hands are going to keep you from evaluating and drafting him that just sounds absolutely ridiculous to me i i my the size of, of an inch is like the, the the length between the base of my finger and my first knuckle right i mean that, that's 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 really it and yeah i just i don't i don't see that i mean do you i really don't see that being unless you have hands that are so small that you cannot grip a football properly right? Then you obviously wouldn't be playing quarterback and we wouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. So apparently he's double jointed in his thumb too, which like gives him more grip, I guess. It it allows his thumb to extend in a way that makes it easier for him to hold the football. But the NFL ball is bigger than the college ball. Um, So that's something to consider. For me, when you look at these types of measurements and, um, you know, height, weight, different things, hand size, arm length. Uh, When there's outliers like this, it's hard for me to say, absolutely, don't worry about it. Let's take him with our first overall pick. When it's such a crazy outlier, like Devontae Smith's weight last year, at his size to be his weight, excuse me, at his height to be his weight, it's like 155, 160. That was a little alarming for me. It really was. I'm not going to lie. So, and Kenny Pickett's hands being this small, I do think it is a little alarming. Am I going to remove him from my board for that? No, but am I going to consider it when evaluating all the quarterbacks and saying, well, watching tape, I do think Kenny Pickett, and this isn't me, this is just hypothetical. If I'm a, a, a scout, if I've watched Kenny Pickett's tape and I've I've said he is my number one quarterback, do I not draft him because of this? I don't know, but I will say it would factor into my decision and maybe when you have a quarterback class like we currently do where there's not a consensus number one, there's not a bunch of guys that really look like first-round picks, Maybe just uh, let someone else take the risk on Pickett and you go get somebody else that you like in the second round or third round. And, and that's entirely possible. And, and I can understand that strategy because of, like you said, it's not like he separates himself from any other quarterback in the draft. Um, you know, it is a relatively even quarterback class, which which really puts 
everyone at a disadvantage given I think where we both believe the quarterbacks are in this draft, right? When it comes to a talent level um, and, and the importance of a quarterback on a football team. And then, you know, the, the kind of overall just lack of talent in this draft don't really bode well together. So I would agree in that respect that if you're, if, if that concerns you enough to pass on him for another guy, like say Matt Corral, then go for it. Be my guy, take the next available guy. But if, but if at the end of the day, you're certain that that Kenny Pickett can can hold a football, right? And he can throw a football. Then you take the tape in, into consideration. I think the more and more that we get into measurables, the more and more that we get into numbers, analytics, stuff like that. That stuff has its place in sports. I don't disagree with that at all whatsoever. But again, I, I'm a guy that always falls back on the tape. The tape tells me everything, and I've seen Kenny Pickett throw a ball. I saw him play this year. He played extremely well. And if he can, like I said, if he can hold a ball and he can throw it and the tape, you know, is right, it shouldn't hold him back. But I can agree with the sentiment. Yeah. And for me personally, I would, if I was a quarterback needy team, I would wait um, this year. I don't have a problem drafting one on day two because it's a much lower risk that you're taking. It's a, it's you're not using a first round pick on a guy that you don't feel super comfortable with because I'm sorry, there is not a quarterback in this class that you can sit there and say, you can definitely feel super comfortable with him as a first round pick. There's just not, they're risky. I mean, the top quarterback in this class, no matter who it is for you would probably be the fifth or sixth quarterback in the 2021 quarterback class. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And when you look at the teams that are, you know, seriously quarterback needy, there are only a few that come to my mind that I think that's, you have to draft a quarterback this year. Like you have to, you have to make some sort of attempt to fill that position if you don't do it before the draft. Um, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers just because of where they currently sit with their quarterback room. Right. I mean, you can't really be confident in what you've got with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. You've obviously got some promise there. You've got some potential there, but are you confident enough to take that back seat? Other teams, like maybe the Washington football team, I'd rather ride with Heineke for another year but than over some of these guys. I mean, and you, we could come out and be completely wrong, right, over time. Well, and I think that's why you here. take a shot in the second round, right? It's but lower risk. Any of those guys that are there in the second round, though, I think you get even, you get even into a worse situation on, on day two, in my opinion. I think once you get past the first four or five guys – in this class, I mean, I think the talent really drops off. I think it's po- – I don't know. I mean, you you could be correct, but I think it's possible that one of the guys that has first-round consideration falls today to you take the guy that does fall and you just kind of see if it works out. And if it doesn't, you can move on quickly because you didn't invest too much in him. Agreed. You still set yourself back, you know, a little bit with that first – you know, not not a first round pick, obviously, but but still a top two. It's still a valuable, right? It's still a valuable pick, but but it's nothing like a round one. But I mean, a guy like that, Malik Willis, you know, could be a guy that you see fall that maybe you want to take a yeah. shot there. And for him, it's going to be interesting because if you take him, I really believe you have to design your offense around him, um, and you need to do that for every quarterback in certain ways, but especially for him. Um, and, and he had a pretty erratic day today. Had some of the best throws of the day. Had some of the worst throws of the day. That's uh, pretty much on brand for for um, Malik Willis there, from what we've seen for him so far. But getting into some other measurables, Roger McCreary, 
Auburn cornerback had a fantastic year at Auburn uh, against some of the top competition in the SEC, some super talented wideouts he went up against. He only has 29-inch arms, and essentially there's been like four or five guys over the last four years that have been able to start on the outside over 400 plus snaps or something like that with 29 inch arms. It's essentially saying if you're betting on him as a first round outside corner, you're betting against, um, you're betting against the statistics and the analytics. Yeah. And see, these are some positions that you kind of understand, right? Those kind of measurables. I know we're going to get into to the edge rushers here in a minute, but you know, it, the, the range for a quarterback significantly drops, right? With shorter arms, especially if you're not a, a really tall guy, really long guy. I mean, everything from, from, from your catch radius to, to your, your defense radius, everything shortens. And, and it's tough, especially in the NFL these days, when you have receivers with, with the height and the athleticism and, and everything that they have coming out nowadays, you've got to be able to go up and, and give yourself a good chance to deflect that ball. So, I definitely understand where they're coming from on that end of things. I do too. And and it is concerning. Um, And I like Roger McCreary. I don't think he's an elite athlete. And if you're not an elite athlete and you have short arms, it's just going to be tougher at the next level. It it absolutely is. I, I like him as a, as a day two selection. I know there's a lot of people on him as a first round pick. We're going to see how the NFL views those 29 inch arms um, in April and see if he's still able to be uh, picked on day one. I, I don't think he will be, but we'll, we'll certainly find out. Um, some other interesting measurements uh, that aren't negative, that are actually very positive. Arnold Ebiketti, who I think we've talked about a little bit on this show. Um, he's a edge rusher out of Penn State, transferred over from Temple this year, and just kind of set the Big Ten on fire. He's only six foot two. But as you said, he has a seven foot wingspan. You said that off air. Seven foot wingspan at six foot two. He has a very small area that offensive tackles can really get into his body, but he has extremely long arms to keep them away from that body. That's really impressive for me. I think that might be even more ideal than being like six four, six five with long arms. Being six two and having those long arms, that makes you very difficult to deal with. Yeah, yeah. We talked about Ebiketti, I believe, in your first mock draft. Um, I believe you had him mocked uh, in a later round to the Jaguars. Second or third round, yeah. Right. The long arms for an edge defender, I mean, it, it just gives you the ability to do so much. Like you mentioned, you know, not, not a super big guy, not a super big frame. Does have a wide frame, though. I will point this out. Because of the wingspan, right, because of the arm length, uh, I think you said his arms uh, were 32 um, 30, They're 34. 34, and, and I believe he came out um, to, uh, if I remember correctly, like like something or almost like 80-something inches. It was 80 range. inches, yeah. For right, so so I mean, if you if you think about that, you're, you're getting about mm, not, not quite 20 inches of, of chest size, right? So so not not huge, but but he is a little wide with those with those wide shoulders and long arms. It, it, it lowers like you said, the, the radius, the, the hit range for an offensive tackle. And it also allows that defensive end to really keep that tackle at bay, right? Keep him out of his chest. Offensive lineman gets you in the chest. It's game over, right? Those long arms are going to be great for bending the edge, keeping tackles at bay. And honestly, 
you know, the ability for, for edge defenders to reach, to reach out and make tackles and disrupt, uh, you know, running backs and, and wide receivers now at this point and whoever's running the ball from the backfield as they try to get around the edge, uh, that's huge. Right. You slow that guy down for one second, you know, somebody can come from behind and, and clean it up or, or make a tackle off the edge rather than them kind of busting through and, and, you know, creating some serious damage down the field. So the long arms can really benefit an edge defender. And that measure really did take me off the uh, off by surprise a little bit. Yeah. So another impressive measurement here. Daniel Falele, six foot eight, 380 pounds. I mean, this guy from Minnesota, right tackle. Former rugby player, hasn't been playing football a super long time, but that's a guy you can get excited about. His size and his movement ability uh, didn't perform super well today in one-on-ones against another guy that I want to talk about. But just that size and the way he can move, that's something you can work with as a as a coach. I mean, 6'8", I don't care who you are, what your name is. Uh, what you play, we'll find a spot for you on the football field. Six eight, th- over three hundred pounds. I mean that that's just that's just an animal, an immovable object, uh, or an object that you know can move others. But it's just the size that that we're seeing from these from these linemen, these interior guys on both sides of the ball. Right. You now. said over three hundred pounds, three hundred eighty-seven pounds. That right. So that even that. <laughs> let me rephrase. And that. almost four hundred pounds over three hundred yeah, and fifty pounds. He carries it incredibly well. Just the, the, like I said, the size, like guys are just getting bigger, right? We know that, but but now we're just getting to, to absolute ridiculous numbers that almost make you not believe they're true. Just the size of these human beings is, is insane. Yeah, and he has an 86-inch wingspan. <laughs> it's not even fair. It's not even fair. 86-inch wingspan. It's over seven feet. That, that, yeah, that that's... That's as tall as, as as a center in the NBA with his arms. That yeah. that's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, I, I do like um, Falele a lot, but a certain Cincinnati edge rusher, Majai Sanders, he really got after him in the one on ones, and it's hard for the tackles to win the one on ones. Sometimes I think the edge defenders have an advantage. Tackles play better when it's a five on five or, you know, seven on seven type of thing going on when they got their guys next to them. But Sanders was just working him around the edge, bull rushing through him. And I think Sanders is a guy who um, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati's head coach, admitted that they kind of played him at a spot that probably wasn't the most advantageous for him. They were lining him up at four eye a lot, just kind of asking him to stack that tackle instead of letting him pin his ears back and just uh, rush around the edge, which is what he's going to be best at at the next level. So that's a guy who I think is going to have a more productive pro career than he did college career. And I, he's starting to show that at the senior bowl, being allowed to just kind of pin his ears back and, and rush the pocket. Yeah. And I actually disagree with you a little bit on that take in regards to one-on-ones. I think tackles okay. have to thrive in one-on-ones because it's truthfully the most natural uh, setup for them when, when you're trying to, like I said, evaluate just singular talent, right? Tackles are on the edge all the time. You have, you have to defend that space, right? An end can work you outside and back inside. You are in space consistently. I think personally, one-on-ones are more 
um, harmful to to guards and centers and interior linemen, right? There's a reason why they're inside. They don't right. move as they're well. They're playing games outside. all the time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And 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 you truthfully have. I mean, for me personally, I played guard. I couldn't play tackle. I couldn't play outside. My feet weren't fast enough. I couldn't cover the edge. But having a you know guys next to me and keeping things in front of me in a box made things a lot easier for me. So when I'm looking at tackles and I'm evaluating tackles, if you find me and show me a tackle that that's going to dominate. I mean, dominate from, from start to finish in one-on-ones, I'll find you a great tackle. I, I think that is a great indicator of, of a tackle's ability to protect the quarterback. They have no help. Yeah. You truthfully have no help. You have maybe a running back who's chipping and a tight end who's chipping every now and then. But if we're talking true five-man protection on the outside with an edge or an outside rusher, you are one-on-one. You are on an island. Yeah, well, Falele did not perform well in that one-on-one against Sanders, that's for sure. And I think that says more about Sanders than it does – uh, Falele, because I think Sanders, he might, he's going to push to be a day one pick. If not, he's going to be very high on day two. Now, speaking of a guy, edge rusher, who dominated today, and this is a guy I've been talking about, been just trying to uh, improve his draft stock as much as I can, at least amongst the draft community. Uh, I've done his scouting report over at thedraftjournal.com. And he's a guy I absolutely love, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. He's also a uh, just under six foot four, has the long arms um, like Ebiketti. But this guy, I don't think there's a way he I he can beat you in just about every way that there is for a defensive end to beat an offensive tackle. He can win around the edge with speed. He can bull rush the crap out of you. He has the quickness to uh, push the outside uh, shoulder and then work back inside. And he's very good against the run. He was dominating at the senior bowl today. And I love to see it. I have him as a borderline top 10 pick. I think a lot of people are starting to realize he needs to be in the first round conversation. I think he needs to be in the top 10 conversation. And he's a guy that I just encourage everyone to go watch Jermaine Johnson out of Florida state. And he's an interesting guy too, because he, he was going to be a big time recruit out of high school. He had to go to Independence Community College, and he was featured on the Last Chance U, and uh, he had to do that because of his grades. He didn't have good grades, good enough grades to qualify for a scholarship at the big-time programs. Transfers over to Georgia. Um, you know, He got some playing time in 2020. He did have five sacks, so I mean, it's not like he wasn't playing at all. But then he transfers over to Florida State for his final year, and he just dominated all year, like I said, against the run as a pass rusher, chasing down plays in space. I think Jermaine Johnson is a super sleeper, and I was really happy to see him dominate today. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson impressed me just, just with the way that he conducted himself throughout the season you know with with the way things were handled at fsu right to 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 have pretty much everything you know not going your way a program that was once a powerhouse and and in the national spotlight consistently is in a dark time in their history and he continued to play he continued to show that he is a a force to be reckoned with and it was one of the guys that i was really thinking you know hey if the jaguars don't land an edge rusher early you know, Jermaine Johnson falling back into the second round would give them that flexibility to take someone else, right? Take a tackle, not a wide receiver, obviously, because I don't think anyone is necessarily um, uh, appropriate for a number one overall pick, but they could trade back, right? They could trade back and amass 
uh, a couple first round picks, right? And maybe still get two of those guys and then land on Jermaine Johnson in the second round. But like you said, he is showing that he is a first round talent and he should be perceived that way. And it sucks that the Jaguars probably won't get a chance to sniff at him because he has been showing his, his, his potential greatness in the senior bowl. The clip that saw him today. I mean, he was absolutely dominating guys who, who are, three, four, five times his size, man. You know, he's he's not a small guy by any means, but when you look at you know, some of the offensive linemen that he has dominated in the season, in the senior bowl practices so far, I know it's only day one, but he has looked tremendous. Yeah, I mean, Ike McQuanu, the guy who a lot of people are talking about as a potential top overall pick, I uh, can't remember who it was, maybe Dane Brugler of The Athletic, actually. Yeah, he mocked Ike McQuanu to the Jaguars offensive tackle as the number one overall pick. Jermaine Johnson gave him everything he could handle that day against the run. And that's where Iquanu thrives is as a run blocker. Jermaine Johnson handled his business there and he, he got after him as a pass rusher too. So I just really think the sky's the limit for that guy. And he's high motor and high effort. Combine that with his physical ability like I said, sky's the limit for Jermaine Johnson. And speaking of guards, you said you were a guard back in the day. We love the big ugly. Zion Johnson out of Boston College. He had a pretty dominant showing lined up at guard today um, and the one-on-one drills against the interior defensive linemen. Um, he also worked at center, which some teams might be interested in having him work out at the next level. I, I see him as a guard. Maybe he can play center. He's not as comfortable there. He didn't look as good there. Uh, He certainly is more comfortable at guard. But one thing you love, he was the only player, and Jordan Reed of ESPN, he's the one that caught this. He was the only player working after practice, and he was working on uh, the center reps and trying to improve there. So you talk about a guy who is already really good as a guard, and he's working to you know, show that he can also play center and has that work ethic to go after practice and work on it. Zion Johnson, I think, is going to be a first-round pick, if not an early day two guy, and he showed why today. Yeah, you have to make yourself indispensable, right? You know, make it make it impossible for them to, to have to cut you, and positional versatility is a huge way to do that. Now, as an offensive lineman, you know, as long as you can snap the ball and you have an idea of what's going on, you can play center, right? Centers are, like we talked about before, are very smart Leaders of the offensive line have to be able to identify a defense and, and know what the responsibilities of the entire offensive line are. But you know, gone are the days of the when I say, you know, dumb football player, right? Offenses in football have become so complex over the years. Guys have become students of the game. And you see it even at the high school level nowadays with the complexity of some offenses and how much it takes for people to grasp the playbook. If you grasp that and you understand and you can snap the ball, you can do all the above and and like I said, being that guy who can play multiple positions is going to make it really tough for teams to not want you on the roster. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a guy you brought up earlier, Travis Jones out of UConn. You're like, do they even have a football program? But yeah, that guy, he is a bull in a china shop. He was really showing some leverage. He was getting up under the offensive lineman as a defensive tackle and just driving him into the backfield. Absolutely. I mean, did you see him? He, he was a bowling ball with arms and legs, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you not win that leverage matchup with that size? But yeah, what what he did, I think it was a Michigan offensive lineman. What he did was just absolutely Huber, probably, yeah. with one arm, might I mention. You know, not 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 necessarily the best technique if we're going in for a bull rush here, right? But if we're trying to to, you know, 
get some leverage, right, and hold ourselves in a gap to be able to do it the way that he did it with one arm, right, keeping his whole butt in a gap and taking up that whole gap with one arm. That was absolutely outstanding as well. So, you know, I, I know I, I did mention it, and, and I'll say it again. I didn't know UConn still had a football program. That's a half joke, but they really don't have a football program. The last meaningful player to come out of there was Darius Butler. Um, and, you know, huge. The teams have to look at this guy. I need to watch more tape on this guy because if he can disrupt pockets, right, or, or you know, force offensive linemen into the backfield like that and disrupt the run game, he is going to be a valuable piece of any defense, especially a 3-4. With that size, with that squatty ability to be a nose guard, he would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he's looking like probably a second-round pick right now. Uh, so he had, a, he had a really impressive day, and he already had some buzz on him. So exciting stuff. Um, we will talk more about the Senior Bowl next time we get together. Um, there's plenty of tape to get into. I'm covering it virtually, so I'll get the practice, the full practice cut-ups here shortly, um, and I'll be able to kind of jump into those and give some more advanced feedback on some of these players. But yeah, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, obviously, we had to talk about the Brian Flores lawsuit and the Jaguars coaching search, and none of that's any fun right now. But the Senior Bowl is a heck of a lot of fun. Got two more days of practice, and then you have the actual game, which I mentioned the game is not of super significance. A few uh, positions do have more uh, more value to watch during the game, and that's running back and linebacker because it's hard to really get a read on what those guys are doing and um, you know non-contact or non-tackling drills, but. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on those linebackers and running backs during the actual game. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for the Senior Bowl talk. That'll do it for the show. I'd like to remind everybody to check out genjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And of course, check out our shop, genjag.com slash shop. You got anything else to add uh, before we get out of here, Jeremy? Uh, not not much other than the Jaguars. Will you please, please end this for us and for our sanity and for my pro- productivity at work? Because I don't know about you all, uh, but I have gotten pretty much nothing done. I'm not going to say that out loud because that's not true. If my employers are listening, I have been a fantastic <laughs> employee. I have got my work done. But get us out of this purgatory, Jaguars. Just go ahead and move on. Let's get things rolling. Uh, and thank you all for listening, as always, man. Can't do it without you guys. Yeah, the constant refreshing is just really difficult to deal with. My phone's dead before noon, so truthfully, if anything, for anybody who may be potentially out there who employs me, my phone's dead by noon, so I get all of my work done in the afternoon anyway. It's actually probably more beneficial on your part. There you go. All right, Duval, we really appreciate you guys listening. Try to enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully, we'll get some some clarity on what's going on inside TIAA Bank Field soon. But like I said, enjoy the rest of your week, and go Jags. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.